the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now, back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 6.07 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're talking with David Tran. And we're now wanting to pick up, David, um, and so much in, in the book, so many excerpts, so many uh, interesting segues from one uh, event to the other that um, I'm just going to recommend our listening audience to just you know purchase the book and you can tell us where they can get it from. Warning shots. There's so much going on between um, the sounds of war, um, your high school years, your your um, your your um, working through uh, English school, and then as you said, Vietnamese and and your um, your exposure to uh, Christian doctrine, uh, all of that is so very important. But now I'm coming to what is called uh, military life, since we did talk about it. At, by the time you're 20 or 21, you're, you're, you're going to be enlisted if you're a male. On March 7th, 1969, in the early afternoon, the three of us who failed the deferment requirement uh, for pharmacy, your pharmacy classmates, you make mention of them uh, from the College of Science, and I took a taxi cab to the Capitol Military Command from which we and dozens of draftees were trucked to the enlistment center number three in Hakmon. Can you uh, talk to us about that event since you wrote it down the first 24 hours and how that moved you into, like you had stated, um, becoming part of the uh, pharmaceutical element in the military. If I'm getting that right, give give us some idea of how that was, how basic training was and what you felt about it. And, And as you stated before the break, you felt as if because Vietnam was your home, you were more than willing to fight for its freedom. Now, answer your first question is that my book is available from Amazon. Okay. It was published by a Christian publishing company, Zulon Press. But Got it. You can it. buy from Amazon or, or from Barnes & Noble. Got it. And... Um, the first day, my impression was kind of very sad, because when you go into the uh, military compound and you were still having your civilian clothes, we were issued military uniform at midnight that day. Yeah. And then and then always heard a rumor that when you go into that place, there's a lot of pickpockets and um, unwanted elements of the society there, so you have to watch out. But sure. since we have three in the group, so we would have kind of uh, feeling safe. Yeah. So at midnight, after we put in our put on our uniform, and then we went through a medical exam real quick, and 
the major thing is that they check you out, see whether you got hernia. Right. If you got hernia, you would be exempted from the military service. Right. So, and since we were volunteer officer candidates, so after one day, we got a leave for one week. The others, they have to stay there and finish their boot camp. So we have uh, wearing our uniform, and then we everybody went home. Is that right? Yeah. After one week, we refer we reported to the Kwangchung training camp. It's next yeah. to that. Yeah. And then started our nine week uh, boot camp training. Yeah. That's a soldier. That's a training for basic soldiers. And after that, we transferred to the infantry school. That's for the army officer school, reserved army officers officer school. Because we have a military academy that's different from us because they are career military. They will be. They would have a two to four year training in one of the. In one of the so-called southern central part, that's a resort place. The rich people always go there for summer. It's called Dalat. Yeah. And we, the military school, it's called infantry school. is only maybe thirty kilometer from Saigon. Mm. And then we stay. We stay there. Uh, finish our training. Totally combined. As nine months, so we finished our schooling in the military school before Christmas, 1969. Mm-hmm. And then because they assigned people to different units according to their background and capability, so everybody were not deferred for medical school or pharmacy school. They all go to military. A medicine school. So we have another nine months of training. Yeah. But those are only learning how to how to do our management thing. No more fighting. Right. In the military training school for the for the uh, infantry officer, we learn to be a platoon leader. Yeah. For you, after the military medical school, we choose our unit. I have two opportunity because I was not in the very top of the listing. I don't know how they created our our education, and then I either can choose Da Nang. You heard about that, right? One of the big seaport in Vietnam. Yes, so I, I choose Pleiku because. I think I have good connection there because our family doctors is a good friend of the core commander. Okay. And so I think, and then I also learned from my military training that I went to a medical group, which is pretty leisure in our desk job. And if I choose to go to Da Nang, that's a general hospital. They said you have to work like a horse and you don't have time off. Right. So my decision 
changed my whole life. And after becoming a Christian, I said every step of my life has been led by the Lord. It's very evident that that's the case. Now, Anna, how does Anna play into this? We've got about two minutes to, to just kind of begin that conversation, and then we'll take a break. Okay. At the end of 1974, I listened to my assistant. He's the first staff staff surgeon, first class. He said, hey, lieutenant. You should go to see that the coffee shop uh, cashier. She's very pretty. Mm-hmm. Go and court her. I said, oh, okay, let me see. So I waited <laughs> for a while, and then I went with uh, several pharmacists in the unit, and then we went to the coffee shop, and then I said, wow, she's really pretty. But I decided, oh, that's not my, that's not my, my choice, because she's so pretty. When will be my turn to to court her? So right. I just went home, and then around Christmas, 1974, she came into our compound, the military unit compound, with a, one of her friends to visit a, a friend there. Oh, I saw her, and so we st- struck up a conversation again, and we began to see each other, and then after. Less than a month on February 1st, 1975. So I asked her for marriage, and she okay. That's where we're gonna stop. Yes. I I wanna I wanna take a break, pay some bills, and then I wanna come back because I want us to pick up with David and Anna and marriage and. Uh, the intrusion of the war. You're listening to the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're talking about how God works in a crazy world of fallenness and sin, how grace can still weave together a life for men and women that gives glory to God. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We're back on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. And my good friend and family member, David Tran. David, I'm reading the fourth chapter, Prisoner of War and Reeducation. And I am trying to conflate the love affair between you and Anna and the apparently growing uh, conflict that led to what we call the bliss and trouble uh, period where... Apparently, uh, you and Anna, even though we, uh, you guys may have married, um, found yourselves in that precarious situation of becoming prisoners of war. Help me in this segment, put together for this segment for our listening audience in an accelerated way, the (laughs) remarkable uh, (laughs) fact that she said, yes, I I understand what that is. Believe you me, I keep telling young people it's a mystery that a woman would say yes to a man and and how that grew into uh, domestic married life to a military man. And then the uh, the the, that 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 troublesome day where you guys were captured. I asked Anna, why did she quit? Because she had job, she said, because 
so many people were interested in her. One man asked her to go out several times, and she said no. And then that man threatened her, said, "If you don't, don't, don't be proud of your pretty face. I will slash it with razor blade." So she quit the job. Of course. And then, and then uh, when she was one day going to the market, and then a lady was in the markets selling stuff and come, hey, hey, come here, pretty girl. I want to tell you something. I will tell you fortune telling without charge. So she sat down and said, you're going to get married. And he's an officer. He's a tall guy compared to her, of course. And he's a very honest guy. So she put that in her mind and then she's, she saw me and then probably mysteriously she said that's the, the, the one that's been arranged for her. And I like her because she's pretty, but she never wear makeup, no perfume, no jewelry, just plain, everything. But she's so beautiful that everybody was attracted to her. And so we, after we know each other, I drove her around to scenic area in the, in the, in the military pose, and then I I love her so much that I asked her to marry me. Actually, according to military tradition, not tradition, regulation, an officer you want to marry, you have to go through military security to check out whether your spouse will be a Viet Cong or yeah. communist. Yeah. Since it takes so long time to get paperwork done, so I haven't started yet. And then we got the order to retreat. Right. And so the retreat was so hurry. When I was in the infantry school, the last lesson we learned that is the company in retreat. That's a very serious and yeah. a lot of planning to do. But yeah. here, in March 10, 1975, one yep. of the major uh, cities in the Central Highland, Bang Me Tu, was taken by the North Vietnamese with their tanks. And then, for some reason, the president by then of South Vietnam ordered our entire corps to retreat from Pleiku, go down to Nha Trang, the coastal city, and then go to take back Bang Mae Tu. But that's totally unreasonable. Right. I heard later on that the commander of the corps, after he went to the meeting with the president at Cam Ran Bay, he pulled his hair. Even me, as the first lieutenant, I know that's a wrong decision, but order yeah. is an order. Yeah. Oh, we just had to retreat. And our compound is next to the court headquarters and next to the airport. A lot of people just went to the airport and then to, to squeeze into those transport plants and leave Plego. And I then already did a lot of rocket attack into the airport. So I decided, oh, so either we don't have a chance to squeeze into the 
the airplane or would be killed by those rockets. So I yeah. decided to stay, and then the next day, except a handful of officers, everybody went of all. And then I met my commander. He said, okay, now the unit is under your hand. I will see you in the airplane. And then he he left with his helicopter. Before that, they asked me, my helicopter steps one seat. You want to join me? I I decided immediately by then, I said, no. Right. I didn't want to ask her, ask him for another seat for my wife, because she's not officially my wife yet. Right. So we just uh, live. And uh, that's what I talked to Will and, and uh, Peter about this. When you're in retreat, the highway will be congested real fast. Yep. And then we were totally stuck after two days on the road. So on the first day, we stayed in one of our units in on the road, and then the next day, we have to sleep on the highway. And then the day after that, I have to sleep on top of the Jeep, because I don't want to sleep on the car, on the hood of the Jeep is too cold. So I, I have a pretty acrobatic, I slept on the roof of a Jeep. Okay. Because there's no room even on the road to sleep. Yeah. And the third night, Anna and I, after seeing the attack of the communists onto our withdrawal column, we slept in on the hillside. And then the next day, on the 20th of March, we have no more water, we have no more food, and then we have to walk and fumble in a jungle until we saw a stream. And then Anna jump in there. I also walk after her, and then we drink to our full, and then we heard two gunshots. Yeah. And that's after six years and two weeks, my military service with the South ended. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, what took place? Uh, they took us to a place that about 30 of our soldiers were sitting on the ground in in the jungle. Mm-hmm. And then they took Anna away. I was worried about that, but since uh, they were not different, they are not the same as our South Vietnamese troops. I, I don't want to, to compare Orange with Apple. But apparently, the North Vietnamese by then has very good discipline. They yeah. treated everybody very nicely. Because I watched so much movie in my lifetime before that. When you see somebody caught, caught as a POW, the first thing you get is a rifle butt. Yeah. And then women, they would rape. Yeah, yeah. And I always worry about Anna, and but I saw them just escorted her away, and then we just sat there 
and then heard their first propaganda. One of the soldiers said, hey, the EU counterfeit army has been defeated by us. We got defeated. We were on retreat by ourselves. And I see, look, the commander of the 37 artillery battalion, he's also caught by us. Yeah. See, that the first propaganda I heard in my real life. Actually, the war was very hopeless in my own mind because we were so thoroughly infiltrated by the North. Because yeah. do you know these things, who's in the South, who's from the North? Right. Listen, I want to take a break. And then I want to come back and I want you to briefly tell us how you were able to overcome being a prisoner of war and regathering uh, with your wife, with your with your wife Anna to be, and then we'll talk about uh, your coming to the states and 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 what you learned and your walk with God up to where you and I are today. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're listening to the story of David Tran and how God led him to where we are right now through a difficult period of time of the Vietnam War. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are back and time flies when we are having significantly important and very rich and substantial conversations about life at large. David, there is so much that could be said between this fateful moment when you and Anna are separated. I mean, the book just lays out all kinds of extremely important um, uh, excerpts, bidding farewell, relocation, um, this unforgettable dream. I'm almost wanting you to Talk to me about it, but there are so many other aspects of that whole period. Even, uh, even you becoming ill and sick again. We we probably are going to have to do a second uh, a second interview uh, uh, with you on that. I actually need us to uh, move to the point in your separation and experience as a POW. Um, to the point where uh, you guys hear of the fall of Saigon and, and your liberation. But just give us just a, a bit of a thought about uh, your overall assessment of, of being a prisoner of war. Since I was used to be a bookworm and yeah. I watched so much movie and read the biography of people, yeah. so... I think my experience is very, very rare because by the Lord's mercy, I never met those first captors who were so nice. Yeah. We were never tortured. We were not even yelled at. And then when, after they separated Anna and me for three days, and then one morning I heard some some uh, noise in our group. Oh, they, they brought Anna to, 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 to our group. And then Anna came and told me that they let us to go back to play cool. That's our original place. Yeah. And now I come to say goodbye. 
So I told her, okay, take care of the baby in your womb. And remember, if you don't see me anymore, bring the baby to my parents' home in such such a, a place, address in Saigon. Yeah. So we, we just say goodbye. I didn't even hug her because I don't want to. Right. You to, to arouse some bad feeling from the captors. And right. then after she left, I heard a, a voice in our group. He said, oh, such a sorrowful scene. Yeah. And then miracle after miracle that uh, I was allowed to, uh, to receive of visitors when I was in, the, in one of the camps. And then my father-in-law and Anna came to see me. And that was after the night that I was feeling I was going to die because yeah. of my hemorrhoid, because I didn't eat for maybe 10 days. Yeah. And then they came to see me and Anna later, to, later on told me that we saw a corpse walking out smelly because I didn't take a, a bath in the river for more than a week. And yeah. then I was diarrheaing, having diarrhea. And then she told me that your face looked like a big full moon, but yellowish, waxy. Yeah. And then even my father-in-law, he had you uh, work in a hospital before, and he said, well, let me see. We better go home and ready a hole for him. He's yeah. totally hopeless. Yeah. So yeah. they left, and Anna gave me some money, and then so I just went back to the shed and rest. The next day, they called me again. They said, you're doctors, because I have uh, three our own doctors, also POW in the same camp, yeah. uh, asked that you'd be sent to a hospital. Have you ever heard about that? A POW sent to a hospital? <laughs> And then I went to the hospital, stayed there for a couple of days, and then Anna came to see me. Yeah. And, then, and she said, wow, thank, because she's already a Roman Catholic there. I, I didn't know that. Said, thank God that they they stay in the hospital. And during the hospital stay, I was totally crestfallen because I heard a loudspeaker yelling that Saigon has been liberated. Yeah. He first. All my hope being gone, because all I was hoping was that someday we would exchange prisoners. Yeah, yeah. And then, a few more days, Anna came to see me again. And then the hospital staff said, well, here's the paper from the POW camp that he should go back and report for the camp. And then Anna got a paper. And then we walk out and said, yeah, well, let us go to the camp. And then I said, are you crazy? Let's go home. <laughs> <laughs> so we follow her, and then we hitchhike. The North Vietnamese Army convoys. Wow. And then went to Anna's mom's home, and then went to Anna's daddy's home. And then finally, on May 23, 1975, we went back to our home in Saigon. Yeah. And when I, when I ring the doorbell, 
my brother yeah. on the second floor, he looked down and said, hey, there's a strange guy <laughs> with a Vietnamese woman standing in the front door. <laughs> I was there. I didn't see him for only for four or five months, and he couldn't recognize me. Right. So we went in there, and then I introduced, this is my wife. Yeah. So Anna took me to the bathroom and gave me a very good hot water sour bath, and then we have dinner, and we have lunch. And then my daddy told my younger brother, bring him to the hospital. And then when my brother brought me to the hospital, that's the only remaining hospital in Saigon that still has medicine. Sure. Have staff. That's the only French hospital. Yeah. And then the French doctor, female doctor, asked my brother silently, quietly, how come you bring him now? It's so late. Yeah. And my brother answered him because he didn't know, just like me, we didn't know, we didn't study French. He said he was a POW. And then the, the doctor checked my blood. I looked at my arm when they were withdrawing, withdrawing blood. It was just like thin pink water. Yeah. Later on, I read my patient record, my Red blood cell count was 1.8 million. That's less than one-third of the yeah. normal count of a human being. Yeah, you shouldn't have even been alive. And then immediately I got one unit of blood transfusion. Mm -hmm. And then I stayed in the hospital for 10 days and then returned home. Yeah. And, and then... After a month, we were asked to report for re-education. Anna told me not to go. I said, well, why not? Because I cannot hide anymore. Everybody know me was an officer. And then if I live here and go to your home, what can I do? I didn't look like a farmer. And, uh, and also our eldest brother, he was a reef. He was a former soldier and they asked all the NCO and the soldiers went to re-education for three days in Saigon. And after three days, they all got a paper that, oh, now they are new citizens of the new government. I said, see, they, they, they keep their promise. So I just went. Yeah. And I went there and then the real face revealed. Yep. We stayed there for 10 days, and one of our representatives representative asked the one of the camp uh, guardians that, we have 10 days in here, when shall we go home? He said, who told you that? I didn't say, you come here for 10 days. He said, you will be going home after you become a good person. Who's a good person? And then he got to, he got to respond. Is when I think you're good, then you are good. Now I want to stop right there. And when I come back, we'll only have one more segment before our show is over. And I definitely want to have you back. But you you have just indicated something that I believe is is very clearly uh, a mark 
of diabolical Marxism uh, that that's happening in our own country today, where they are defining things in ways that are really uh, putting people in a condition of being controlled by humanism. And uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that uh, when we come back. And we're going to have to have a second segment on 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 the book because there's so much there. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline talking to David Tran. We're going to come back for about five minutes and make some, some basically some warning statements about where we are in our world today with the kind of lies that are coming to us about what it means to be a good person, a good person. This is your ESG score. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are at the time 651. For those of you who have been privileged to hear the uh, brief excerpts of the story of David Tran, my daughter's father-in-law, my son-in-law's father, we share a lot in common, especially our faith in Christ and God's sovereignty and his power. There are tons of miraculous and supernatural events that I could talk with David about, but we would need two more hours. What I'm going to ask you, uh, David, uh, just mm-hmm. as, as some closing comments before we, because I want to pick up, I want to pick it up and have another conversation with you on some of the other very uh, insightful things in the book. Um, the, the, the state of America as it is right now um, what you learned in that that Vietnam War, what you learned as a as a POW, what you were going to learn, as you just stated before the break, was about how propaganda uh, brings a message that people might be inclined to believe that doesn't even remotely correspond to reality or the truth. Let me ask you, as a believing man who knows Christ, who knows God's sovereignty. Um, where are we at in our country uh, in terms of um, the dangers of losing our freedom, the dangers of being taken over by an ideology and a system that we know has practiced tyrannical controls over nations and peoples in the past? And what should what should believers be thinking and and doing in relationship to the present and oncoming dangers. I hope you can uh, sum that up for us in about four minutes. What I learned from my experience in Vietnam was that because the propaganda was done so well that they were doing good for the nation, they want to expel all the foreign influence in Vietnam from Chinese, from French, from America. And most people believe in that because I have a very not close friend, but uh, he shared a room with me in the military compound. And he was in, uh, he was a pharmacist. And he was sentenced to jail because he had joined hand with another doctor to revolutionize uh, against the corruption in yeah. a hospital. Yeah. So in, hus- in the um, 
concentration camp in a prison, in a military prison, because he's a good tennis player. So he just enjoy his time to play tennis with the commander of the prison. And after that, when he stayed with me, because when you are coming from the coastal plain to the central highland, this can consider an exile. Right. He always, in the morning, listen quietly to the come come Vietcong radio. I didn't yeah. say anything because why? It's almost like a common phenomenon. Everybody has relationship with the North. Their relatives were South Vietnamese communists or Northern Vietnamese Viet Cong. So as long as he's not doing uh, open armed revolution, everybody should live peacefully together. Okay. And in a education camp, I could see that they can use confession. One guy, he's from the north, he said, the communists, they use the Catholic way of, of approach, that people do the open confession. And yeah. then the communist propaganda said, you have to reveal what you know about a former regime. Yeah. They, they call us anti-revolution. They are the revolution, we are the anti-revolution. Right. And you have to tell us everything you know about your your superior, your co-peers, and your units function, because I grab all the information from the IBM machine in the, in the Saigon headquarters of yours. And then, so, uh, some crazy people believe in that, and they will review everything. And then, if you review all those things that had been harmful to them, you got sent to the north, which is really the gulag of Vietnam. Yeah. <clears throat> there we go. Now, I've and, got, I've got okay. two minutes. I've got two minutes. Um, if, you could, um, if you could make an equation between then and now, and uh, and why it's so necessary for us to believe in God and trust God, that will help us until we talk next time. We've got one minute. Okay. And I saw a lot of uh, useful idiot yes. in my time there, and then I see the proportion of currently we have is tremendously larger than we had by then. Yeah. Because now we have all the big tech, with the, all the big guys, with all the power in their hand, they can yeah. crush any opposition in no time. Yeah. So we better prepare to receive Christ as our Savior. He will protect us in whatever situation would come. David, thank you for um, writing the book. Thank you for eloquently going through just brief excerpts, given that there's so much there. You and I have had great conversations before. I actually want to come back on so we can talk about the miracles and the supernatural things that God did to bring you even to where we are today. There's a second part that I know my listening audience wants to hear. Um, and, and, and until then, the Lord bless you and, and keep you and be gracious to you, David. And we will talk again uh, soon, my dear friend. 
We will talk to you later. God bless you. God. And God bless you, too, my brothers and sisters. This is two uh, fathers and grandfathers talking about life. I could talk about mine, but I am so privileged to talk with David about Vietnam. If you want to email me, gbchayward at gmail.com, gbchayward at gmail.com. Your comments and your views, I'd love to hear them. I would share them with David if he touched you. Believe me, there's so much more, so much more to what God was doing at that time. And David sees where we are today. I hope you do too. Until next time, God bless you. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.